Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Joining us now to discuss more about the election is Indrajit Singh, a former PAP MP and been in politics for many years. Uh, Mr. Singh, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hi, morning, Glenn. Happy to be with you. Oh, it's great to have you. And your many years of experience in government, of course, you're not in government anymore. But uh, tell us about how this election is sort of stacking up for you. It's a, it's a brand new day in Singapore in terms of election politics with COVID-19 restrictions, etc. Yeah, you know, in terms of the campaign, it is uh, very different. And it uh, looks like all the political parties have managed to adapt themselves to focus on online campaigning, uh, you know, uh, which is reaching out to one segment of, uh, of society. The physical rallies used to reach out to the men on the street who may not be online. So that is a missing element. And uh, this is something that, uh, you know, I think uh, will be a disadvantage uh, for the parties that did not spend time in the ground in the last five years. Yeah, Mr. Singh, it's Neil Humphreys here. This is something you've spoken about quite a lot publicly, this need to connect or in some cases reconnect with the ground. I was out, I live in Senkang. I was out actually last night and I saw my uh, MPs uh, canvassing around the Rivervale Mall. Do you think that's an element that's missing, this connection with the ground? And if so, what can or should be done about it in the coming days? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's very important that the voters get to see who are the candidates are and understand, uh, you know, uh, what they stand for. Without that personal touch, it's going to be very difficult. You see, we have two types of voters. The younger voters and the more educated ones are probably assessing the online platforms and understand, the, you know, the, the candidates, uh, who they are and what they stand for. But you know, the ordinary Singaporean, especially the older Singaporeans, uh, and, and especially the pioneer uh, generation, which are 400,000 voters, I think, mm. uh, those uh, people uh, are not being reached. So this is, I think, is, uh, is going to make a huge difference on what they think. So while we think that the social media is, uh, is uh, giving a balanced view of both the opposition and the PAP, I think the ones that are not being rich uh, may be entrenched in their belief that the PAP is the right party. Yeah, this idea of connecting, as you uh, so eloquently mentioned it, has in years past happened at the big rallies uh, that have been held and, and to great impact, I would say, for both the PAP and for the other parties that were contesting at that time. Um, without those rallies now, uh, you know, the MPs and the different potential uh, candidates are having to get on the ground and, and frankly, put themselves and some of their constituents in in potentially a, a, a hazardous situation when it comes to health. Um, is there a way that uh, in the next few days that this can be done in a way that's safe, in your opinion? Of course, you know, they've just had some last night uh, had some on debates happening on television, radio. Is there another way to get to that pioneer generation that may not be so adept at using social media or using uh, the, the digital space that we're in? Yeah, unfortunately, unless you have the kind of rallies or, or group uh, gathering dialogue sessions and so on, it's going to be very difficult to reach out to them without having go down to the ground and meeting them in, in the hawker centres or even going house to house. And we know that when that happens, uh, there is a risk that the COVID thing could spread further. And, uh, and I do expect that after the GE, uh, we may see a rise in the number of uh, COVID cases uh, because of this interaction that's happening. Other than that, uh, you know, I think that, that our mainstream media has been quite balanced in uh, reporting the, the stories of all the candidates on all sides. I, I'm quite pleased to see that. Uh, and I think, you know, this may help reach out to some of the pioneer, the Mandarin speaking, if they read the Chinese papers and, the, you know, the English speaking and the Malay speaking and the Indian speaking, they have their, their language papers that they can read. So that is one channel, I think, that will be effective. 
Uh, and the mainstream media need to continue to give equal coverage to everyone to be fair to every party. Yeah, and on that point, I remember back in 2015, there was a lot of talk pre-election that so- this was going to be the first social media general election in Singapore. In other words, you know, there was a very, very vocal minority online that suggested that we were going to see a huge vote or considerable vote swing in a different direction. But come the polls, come the results, it was actually pretty consistent, in fact, a slight increase than previous elections for the PAP. Do you think social media will have a greater bearing on this election or will it be like last time? I think this time round, there will be a, a higher percentage of voters who are, who are on the social media, not just the young, but even the older mm. Singaporeans, you know, the, maybe the middle-aged Singaporeans. So these are people that can be swayed by what they see on, on online. So I think there will be some shift. But I think largely, largely, I would say the heartlanders and the men on the street will not be swayed by, uh, they do not see it. So they will still be grounded on the issues that, uh, that affect them, the, the bread and butter issues, what the MP has done for them. And so this is the advantage that PAP has because last five years they have been walking the ground. And, and so, so I think uh, what we see on the social media may not be what we see in the actual results. So I still expect the PAP to do very well in the coming, uh, in the, in the coming elections. On the point of the PAP, you've said publicly before, in some ways, this is a, a test, a mandate, a, a possible validation for the 4G leaders, the next generation of leadership in the PAP and the government. How do you think the 4G leaders have fared so far and what have you liked and what would you like to see maybe in the coming days? Yeah, I think the, it's important that the COVID uh, situation was an excellent opportunity for the 4G leaders to show their, their capability. But we have seen mixed results down there. I mean, in terms of the budget reaction in trying to address the issues, uh, I think the uh, Deputy Prime Minister did a good job there. But in terms of handling some of the other issues, the health issues, whether it was the dormitory issues or the unclear instructions that came out, I think, I mean, it was mixed, uh, mixed reviews right down there. I don't think so. They did very well down there. So now I think it's very important for the 4G leaders to come and paint a future that is exciting for Singaporeans. They have a few more days left for their, for their campaign. I think instead of uh, getting uh, bogged down by the 10 million population issue and some of these issues that I think have already been debated, it will be good for the 4G leaders to show what an inspiring future they have for Singaporeans so that, you know, they can bring the voters towards them. So this, I would advise them to focus on this. Very interesting that you that you bring those things up because it brings me to a question, which is, you know, we know the pioneer generation and the older workers are, are diehard voters. They, they have been for many generations. But what do you feel is is in it for Gen X, Gen Y voters these days? What is exciting them in terms of their uh, looking at this election? What are the issues? What are the, the stands that they're looking for? Yeah, I, I think there, were, there are a couple of things. Uh, for for the, this younger generation, I think uh, whether is there hope and opportunity for an exciting future? I think they want to see, you know, whether that can be created for Singapore. I think many of them are seeing a, a, a future that is uncertain. They're not so sure whether they can get the jobs that they would like to do, uh, not because foreigners are taking the job, just that because you know, the new type of jobs, uh, we can't see what are the strategies that are going to be around. So I think this is, is a very important thing. I would say hope and opportunity. The young must be inspired by this. And if they don't, I think they, they may, may give up on some of the policies. The other portion, of course, is I think they want to see greater debate, uh, greater discussions in, uh, before policies are being formulated. The younger generation want to also see this. 
and and I think they therefore will look for diversity in parliament and not just uh, just a one one party. But I want to say one more thing on hope and opportunity. It's not just the worry of the younger generation, but also the worry of the parents of the future young. That well, their children have a future in this country. I think this is important that all leaders who are campaigning talk about what future they can create for Singapore so that it excites the young and also gives peace of mind to the older Singaporeans that their children will have a future. Yeah, you've touched on a key point there. We're talking to Indajit Singh, the former People's Action Party Member of Parliament. Mr Singh, you've touched on my question, which was going to be, I sometimes think the baby boomer generation is a little bit overlooked, particularly now, because there's a focus on the young, yes, the digital social media generation, what is the future for them in terms of a globalised economy. There's the pioneering generations, which traditionally have favoured the status quo. But there's a big chunk in the middle isn't there that also faces a slightly uncertain future the baby boomer generation what are your thoughts on that yeah i think this is where the the, the swing will come from i think in this ge so the young you know i would say generally quite a let's say even you know half of them vote for the opposition the pioneers i think about 90 percent about 400,000 pioneers i think you know 90 percent of them will vote for the pap but there is this big chunk in the middle i think about 40 to 50 percent of this, you know, maybe 10 percent are the high income, but then there is a middle income, a middle age group, which is a baby boomer. They are worried about that. In fact, they have seen the impact of, on their job. So they are sandwiched and they are squeezed. And they are worried about being able to support their children uh, to also have a better life, uh, to put them through, you know. So these are the things that I have. Uh, that also needs to be addressed because uh, if they say they don't see help coming their way, they could swing. Many years ago, uh, someone used this term, the new poor. I would say that the middle income thing feel as the new poor, uh, not just a low income. But So how can these middle income people feel that they are not squeezed and that they, they, they can afford a comfortable life in Singapore and their children can afford a comfortable life in the future too? What do you think the answer is to that? What, I mean, what is the way forward to, to give them that hope, to give them that uh, promise? I think in this essence, many years ago, the PAP government had started Teal's Future Upgrading. I think that is going to be an answer you know, of them reskilling. But I don't think so. We have done it well so far because, I mean, you don't ask a guy who's an electrical engineer to go and learn how to run a hotel. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, but, you know, he is not inspired. But I think we need to look at how we can create jobs that these skills can easily get into by, a bit, by upgrading and by upskilling. So I think this is something that uh, can be done if, let's say, we do it correctly. And also, more importantly, to be able to create a future economy that will have the kind of jobs that they can transit to. Mm. Otherwise, as the Industry 4.0 comes in, the, the new jobs that come in may not be able to be done by these people. So I had written a paper about how we can bring manufacturing back as an important sector of our industry. And if we can do that, there are many of our PMAC who are this group of people actually will easily be able to fit into this industry with a bit of upgrading. So I think someone needs to talk, seriously talk about how, don't worry, your skills will come in useful with a bit of upgrading and I have jobs for you. And this is how I'm going to create the jobs of the future. Yeah, and do you think that's possible? I mean, you're actively involved in various entrepreneurship programs over the years. It's something that you're very passionate about. Do you see that generation, particularly that, that sandwich generation, as you mentioned, being able to make that transition in a digital, globalised economy? Is it even possible? I think it's possible. We have to rethink about how we uh, design the education system today. I don't think so. We need to send anyone like that for a master's course to become an expert. Mm. We just need to come up with modules that are relevant to go and improve you know, the skills that they already have. 
So I think it's possible, but I don't think so. The government has so far found the right strategies to make it happen. Because they have got a broad policy, I think they have not gone into the details. And if you let me design that future economy, I think I have ideas that, are, that can work. And so, we need to work. so by, by saying this, I mean it is very useful for the government to bring in people from who know, collaborate with people, and don't just think that you can do it yourself because they've not been able to do it themselves. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the fascinating aspect of the jobs. There's one other uh, issue that I haven't heard discussed that much, but I'm hearing it quite a bit on the ground, particularly among friends and neighbours, and that's housing. The cost of housing, particularly for those, a little bit of apprehension for that sandwich generation, particularly those living in ageing flats. What are your views on housing? Has enough been said about it and what could be said? Yeah, I think this is an important issue that actually will uh, uh, give the opposition uh, more votes unless the PAP can address this issue. Some, someone needs to be able to, to allay these fears that of diminishing value as number one and number two as future affordability of houses. I think we are overpriced right now and there must be a, a formula that we can work out where housing becomes uh, affordable. And I think, you know, a simple policy, if let's say I can, if my HDB flat, uh, a four-room flat does not cost 400000 but costs 200000 even when my 99 years run out, I should have enough money in my savings to buy another one. So I think there are simple policies like this that can, can be worked out, that can, can allay this problem. But this needs to be discussed because it is something that's worrying many Singaporeans because they have been told that, you know, your asset will always enhance in value and uh, the opposition is saying, no, it's going to go to zero. So I, it will be useful for the PAP candidates to start talking about, don't worry, housing, you'll always have affordable housing that, and, and also enough for retirement after paying for housing. Speaking with Indrajit Singh, the uh, former Singaporean People's Action Party MP, and, and something you touched on in a, in a previous answer was, you know, needing to reshape the economy, needing to consistently adapt and innovate. Um, you did mention, you know, bringing in people that would know how to make these changes. Uh, one would assume at some level that would be foreign talent. Uh, and yet that is a, an extremely um, hot topic right now with, with a lot of political implications, uh, that of foreign talent in Singapore. How do you bridge that divide? How does Singapore need to bridge that divide to, to bring in perhaps foreign experts to help grow the economy or shift the economy? And at the same time, you know, make sure that Singaporeans get the jobs they want at the salaries that they want to get those jobs. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, it's to be realistic, you know, we are a small population and uh, we are competing with a very big global, and uh, big countries and big uh, countries that have a huge talent. So we cannot do it all by ourselves. I think we need to have a mix of uh, you know, uh, foreign and local talent working on this thing. To me, I think this is a very simple issue of rebalancing. I think there will be some that we cannot do ourselves and we need to bring in, but there are some that we can do. It is a rebalancing exercise that the government needs to carefully look at on what is the right balance. And I think this cannot be a policy that set one in, in 10 years because of the rate at which technology is changing. Every two to three years, there must be a review of what is the right balance then adjusting policies on who can we can bring in and who we cannot bring in. I think just by doing something like that, we should be able to find the right balance so that the jobs that Singaporeans can do, you know, they will get the job and does not go to those, uh, you know, that... Uh, so we see right now some of the uh, foreigners that we bring in are at an entry level, a very low level. I don't think so, you know, uh, we cannot train a Singaporean PMAT to, to be able to do the same job. So, so we need foreigners. But it's a rebalancing exercise that someone needs. Thanks to Indrajit Singh, the former People's Action Party MP. And we really appreciate your time and your insight on these uh, uh, GE 2020 topics.
Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.